Or the crime of being a movie virgin. You should all be executed as common criminals. I'm talking death by a thousand cuts. The next movie that we're going to watch for the next episode is the My Little Pony We're not watching the My Little Pony movie next. <laughs> it's really good. It stars... Um, Tara... Tara... Is that her name? Tara Strong? Tara Strong, yeah. yeah That's Tara not Strong how you say Twilight Sparkle. Toilet Sparkle. Toilet Sparkle. Okay, it's one of <laughs> This is really funny. Hello, this everyone. Really Welcome to Death by 199 Cuts. <laughs> Dude, I could have had a two-hour nap. Yeah, you really could have. <laughs> you can you still get, nap. You guys are, oh, Yeah, okay, I'm going to bed. You're going <laughs> to sleep on the podcast? Yeah, I'm going to bed. We Look, Jesse, you, you picked the movie. Why don't you intro it? Okay, Look, yeah. this is already a mess. This is already a mess. Yeah, like, yeah, right yeah. at the I'll, right I'll, up top. I'll intro my movie. Um, the last time I watched this, uh, I I went to the theater with you, Alex, and I got mm-hmm. incredibly dizzy, and I had to run out of the theater to go get some water, uh, and that did not fix it. I felt horrible the whole time. Why did you get dizzy? Huh? Why did you get dizzy? I don't know. Something was wrong with me. I still haven't figured out what it was. It stopped, though. Interesting. So I want to read me a bedtime story. Yeah. Look, the podcast will be your bedtime story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did, did my audio change? Did you lay down? I'm laying down. I'm going to bed. <laughs> you sound 50% sleepier. Sleepy thing. <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'll get back up. Look, Jesse... Yeah. Why don't you tell them what the movie is? Did we not say that? It's the French Dispatch. How long I was going to let you intro how... the movie. I thought you would have said the movie name. No, how long I did, thought... it, did it take for us to get to the movie name? How long have we been recording for? We've been recording for seven minutes and a half. Too long. <laughs> this is the French Dispatch. Yeah, this is yeah the French that's right. Dispatch. Well, yeah, uh, Jesse, you picked out this movie. Yeah, this one also takes place in Italy, uh, just like the mm-hmm. last two that we watched. All the movies oh, take no. place in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've been erasing Italy. What? What are you talking about? We've been erasing Italy. Dude, we're in Italy right now. Yeah. I live in Italy. Is Did that why there's the... an accordion? Did you not get the? I think that's French. Pasta, mamma mia. Uh, we ha- Guys, I just received word that we've been banned in the European Union. That's fine. Woo! <laughs> well, we have a... a, a Dexit. Dexit? Death cuts exit. <laughs> uh, it would be more like... Incredible. Cutting political commentary, Ethan. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Death by Cut. That podcast where I could take the movie. But yeah. We need to end the podcast. (laughs) Today, 
We had to keep Today going. We are talking about Wes Anderson's most recent film as of the time of this recording, The French Dispatch. I saw a trailer the, for a new Wes Anderson Liberty film. Kansas Evening Sun. Is that the full title? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. What, what that is also the, the full name of the newspaper, so. What is the new Wes Anderson movie coming out? I think it's this year. Yeah, but what what is it? It's Asteroid oh. City. Asteroid City. Are you looking oh, it up? Are we, are we doing some power Googling? <laughs> I was going to make another joke, but I don't think you guys would have gotten that. Ethan, I don't understand any of your jokes. Uh, there's a period in my life where I could not tell Bill Murray and Tom Hanks apart. <laughs> I just saw that Tom Hanks was starring in uh, Asteroid City and Bill Murray was in this one. I'm like, wow, two Wes Anderson movies in a row, Bill. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's also in Asteroid City. Is he? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have a real rough time when it comes out. Why are there two Tom Hanks in this one scene? Why did you choose this movie, uh, G? I chose Besides the movie, fact that um, Timothy Chalamet looks like me. No, that was the reason. Was that, that the only reason? Uh, the other reason is because you didn't really like the blood in the last one that we watched, and I wasn't going to subject you to Riccio right away. Yeah. Because Riccio is... It's fake gore, but it is gore. No, I want a movie with real gore in it. I want an actor to get their head pulverized on screen. Oh, they do. Um, <laughs> but it's. I can add effects. faces of death to the list. Did an actor like actually die in that movie? Faces of death is one of those Mondo movies where it's like supposed to be all real gore and real people dying. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. That feels like it should be illegal. I don't like that. It's not. It was incredibly popular. They made, like, five sequels to it. I don't like that either. Um, welcome to welcome to movies. Mondo movie. movies are fucked up. Like, movie, just movie, kind of, movie. like, ethically. But, like, movie. you know, it is what it is. I anyway, the French Dispatch is not one of those. Yeah, no. The French Dispatch only has, I think, one death in it. No, there's, that's not no, true. No, there's, there's more. There, there's... Did, Remember the deaths. remember the the uh, uh, commissaire's son story? Like all the criminals in that one died. Zeffirelli dies. Zeffirelli canonically dies. Oh yeah, he what did die. Bill Murray dies. Did I did I like turn away at the wrong moment? Oh, he dies what? by getting like. Um... He falls off the radio tower. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> And then they do a really cool thing about you know. I I remember like that entire that entire short part uh, short story in the movie except the radio tower bit. I forgot that he got electrocuted and died. Yeah. Ethan, if you had gotten electrocuted and died, I would never forget. Dude, I think with my hair it'd be really funny if I got electrocuted. No, it, it would like, for sure. I think your skeleton would up. like pop out and like show. Yeah, it's just like Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Starring You're Donald exactly Trump. like Daniel Stern in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> but anyways, but, is there any other reason that you picked this movie other than... Literally? Just other, that than, it wasn't other than the and blood in me. Uh, 
no like actually no there wasn't <laughs> all right cool that's <laughs> awesome Look, wonderful i was just kind of looking through this anderson is so like, happy to hear watch that this one or rickio and ethan was like uh gore so i was like okay not rickio then i i don't know if it's it's like the gore that surprised me i think it was the fact that i didn't like expect it in the um pan's labyrinth one because mm. i was like oh pan's labyrinth and and it's it's all fine, and then suddenly this guy gets his face bashed in. I'm like, oh oh oh. Well, it is supposed to be nasty. That is true. <laughs> okay, so first things first, did we like this movie? I did. I like, I like the I like the movie. Wow. I like, did, I like didn't get it at first. But then I had a literature class, and then I'm like, okay, this makes sense now. <laughs> what, what what are your um uh uh did, did you like the movie? What are your uh, thoughts on it? I I gave this. I think it's like, <laughs> I think this you know, is Wes Anderson's best fucking movie ever. <laughs> so yeah, I I I think this. I think this movie rules. Hey, from really my point of view, it's his best and his worst. Ethan, Jesse. You saw it with me. Yeah. You know I liked it. <laughs> Sorry, did we miss the part where I was like dizzy and dying the whole time I watched that movie the first time? Jesse, I've watched it like at least three times after the fact. I really like it. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Top <laughs> This is awesome. This is our the best podcast episode where yet. I watch movies by myself. The only yeah. podcast that has a different method for recording every episode. God. This is the only podcast. They're all gone now. There's no more. This is okay. so sad. Uh, but, yeah, what, um, I guess, Jesse, I'm interested in your perspective, you know, since you're the one who picked this. You know, just what are your thoughts on this movie? You know, just like, you know, just like a little like one or two sentences about, you know, what 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 do you what do you like about this thing? I have a big huge rant written down about uh the concrete masterpiece because that's my favorite uh of the sections. But um I I just I don't know. I like it. <laughs> Jesse, please. Please bless us with that rant when you get when we get to you know the vignettes. Yeah. Um, which honestly we might as well do. So, uh, French Dispatch is like five vin or five vignettes, kind of forming yeah. one story. It's, it's the bookends with uh yeah. Bill Murray, uh Owen Wilson's little bit where he goes on a bike, gives us a little like establishing veneer of the town. Then we got the concrete masterpiece, uh, chessboard revolution, and um, I don't remember the name of the third one, which is a shame because it's that's my favorite vignette. Mm. But, I think it's know, my favorite yeah. too. Uh, the uh, that one's supposed to be sights and smells. Yeah, the 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 sights and smells. Yes, it's the private dining one with uh, the the commissaire dinner with the commissaire. Yeah. Yeah. It's just oh. this quaint, you know, in Wes Anderson fashion, it is this quaint little, you know, kind of exploration of just, Wes is very into the arts, 
I think that's like something that's kind of explored throughout his filmography and how people express themselves. And of course, this this is no different. You know, it kind of sets its sights firmly on journalism and how people express themselves through that medium alongside a whole bunch of other things. This movie is, in essence, just about being an artist and also, weirdly, mortality? I th- I, I thought you were going to like be like, Ethan, what do you think this movie is about? And I'd be like, oh, I think it's about blah, blah, blah. But I guess you could just spell it out for me. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you that. I was just like saying what it means, you know, to me. That you is know, true. All this, yeah, all Subjective of this is, opinions. You know, yeah, all of this is, you know, very much about, you know, mortality and how like artists deal with that kind of aspect of their lives to me. But Ethan, what did, what did you get from this? What was your takeaway? Uh, I I have a, a a like mini rant on this. And by a mini oh, rant, boy. I mean it's like it's like two sentences. But I I do want to I do want to hear Ike's mega rant first about about the painting. It's not incredibly long. <laughs> I'm I'm very excited for this episode. Look, it's, very it's passionate. Written in my notes app, and I think it takes up uh, three pages. So, whoa! That's not a ton. I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask uh, what everyone's favorite vignette was, but I think we've all answered that. Jesse's is no, a concrete masterpiece. Oh, yeah, I, I said mine. I said mine was uh, dining with the commissaire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Started a manifesto. I think manifesto was probably my second favorite, but all of them were good. Yeah. They they are really good. Look, this is a five star film to me. Like I don't I don't give a fuck. <laughs> great movie <laughs> um but yeah honestly let's just you know jump into the vignettes why not yeah so like the first like vignette with like meat on its bones it's not you know the bookend or like Sazerac's tour of ennui which is also very funny and has my favorite line in the film about packs of roaming children drunk off the blood of christ just going around and beating the shit out of bystanders. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, <that's> <laughs> Love bit. that. And it's um, all but yeah. read by Lightning McQueen himself. <laughs> Owen Wilson is Lightning McQueen? Yeah. yeah! I did not know that. I never like actually like thought about who Lightning McQueen's voice actor was. Lightning McQueen that, that, was played by himself. Sense. They got Lightning McQueen to voice Lightning McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> Cars is a... Uh, a documentary. Yeah. It's true. But yeah. Actually, the I lied. The next, the next episode is uh, Cars. Starring Owen Wilson. It is? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know this. I made the podcast and I didn't know about this. As a kid, I didn't like that movie. Really? I thought Herbie Fully Loaded did it better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can do an episode on Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah, can we? I would be delighted. <laughs> that film is awful. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, the concrete masterpiece, Ethan. What did you think of this video? I thought I thought it was it, it was fun. Uh, I I I liked um uh what's her face? Uh, they say do Tilda Swinton. Uh, Sim- Simone. 
I don't uh, Leia know. The, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know the the act the actress's name. Um, but 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 I like how she played into the story, and uh, like with with Moses and I, I, I thought it was I thought it was funny. <laughs> Shout out Benicio del Toro. Love seeing that guy pop up. Is is he in anything else that I would know? Um, you don't know any movies. That's true. Well, I know Fight Club. Yeah, you I know, know Fight, Fight Club, Club Pan's Labyrinth, and Redacted times three. <laughs> <laughs> All the lost episodes. Yeah, it, if if you would like to hear about the lost episodes, uh, check out our Pan's Labyrinth one. Um, Benicio del Toro is you know. He appears in a lot of in like a lot of things. He was in Star Wars. He was in one of my favorite movies, Inherit Vice. But uh, you know, he's in look, Star I just like him. I think he brings a really nice unhinged attitude to nearly everything that he does, and I really appreciate that in a man. You know, based on this single sample, uh, he he he, he does seem like he plays unhinged pretty well. <laughs> he's great. He. He plays unhinged and like little rat fucks really well. We should go to play Rafa. I love both of those genres. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? That that's something that the the guys won't get. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome to nine hundred ninety eight cuts. Oh, we're, oh, we're, on, we're at like ninety six now. <laughs> Just ninety six. We already we already spent the hundred. Uh, the the hundred the other the, uh, the other no- to death by ninety four cuts. <laughs> I almost said ninety seven. We're going up. Strong. We're winning. It's so over. It's <laughs> over. All right, play 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 the play the outro tune. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. For twenty-three minutes. <laughs> All right, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's strike it back in. Uh, yeah. the, the the concrete masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we all like it, but Jesse, I'm very interested to hear this rant of yours. Rewatching it this time and a little bit of last time, uh, it gave me the idea that this movie is about exploitation in certain ways. Um, which. Just my onions, just my thoughts. But uh, especially the way that he paints his pictures on the prison wall where they can never be moved. And they do it anyway. But uh, they keep asking things of him and he keeps straight up not delivering uh, for months. And none of this was for anybody outside of the prison he was just painting for himself and maybe for simone as well but i i interpret it as for himself and the guy who played uh julian cadenza did really good at playing just like a fucking asshole yeah he really <laughs> did he, he was an ass adrian brody one of our great talents mm-hmm I don't know. You Sorry just, to interrupt you your feel bad for the guy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, his just hobby is being taken advantage of. And I think that's um, it's a little bit different uh, maybe for me because art 
than some other people. You are an artist. I am. Uh, what else was it? I was trying to figure out what the color swapping meant uh, throughout yeah, that's, this That's pressing throughout the movie. Yeah. It yeah. flips from black and white to color. Uh, and I wrote uh, exactly the swapping between black and white and color definitely has a meaning, but right now I can't think of it. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat. I know it's supposed to mean something, but I, d I don't exactly know what I'm supposed to make of it. Um, it, the color swapping happened every time that we saw one of his paintings for the first time. Yes. But also sometimes when that wasn't happening. Yeah, what about the rest of the movie? Um, I'm trying to think of, like, wherever it happens elsewhere in the movie. They mean, they mean different things in different vignettes. Yeah. You know, okay. The, 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 let's stay with the concrete masterpiece right now. Yeah, let's let yeah, yeah yeah let's let's stick on let's stick on this one. So you know, the color shifts to color every time that we, you know, see one of his pieces for the first time. Um, also at the end when she does the big walk, you know, so we can see the mural. But you know, the mural is less the focus in that shot than you know it is her. But you know, yeah it. It's about the artistic focus, man. Yeah. Focus. It's a very good movie. <laughs> but yeah, Jesse, that's a very interesting um, you know, take on how this is a treatise on like kind of exploitation. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I see that a bit in Zaprelli too, but we're not there yet. Oh yeah. Because you know, the, the framing device of this is, you know, a kind of, like, retrospective, after-the-fact kind of... Um, and with a very fun, unreliable narrator. Yes. Benson is a really fun narrator. Yeah. It's a life story that's being told after the fact, where, you know, he doesn't really get a say in how his legacy is defined. It's just kind of defined by the people around him and, like, the muses that he took. Because we know he got out of prison after, but also we never get to hear anything from that side. Mm -hmm. Like, we, after he leaves the prison, essentially, he, he stops being a character in his own story. Yeah, he's kind of already dead. Yeah. Which, you know, ties into my, you know, kind of thesis about how every vignette in some form or fashion, even the first one, where I don't think anyone dies in it. Except for, you know, the two people that he kills at the, the start of it. <laughs> but, you know... With the hacksaw. Yeah. Every vignette in this movie is in some form or fashion about mortality to me. Oh, there's also the people who die in the prison, right? Those don't count. <laughs> Are you saying prisoner deaths don't matter? I, I was talking more about the potential guard deaths, but, you know, I I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I get sure. Twitter on this fool. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about the guards. Leave me alone. 
Did any guards die? Because I'm pretty sure they're like uh, in the riot. There like eight prisoners died, and there are like six injured art critics or something. Straight up, do not remember. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like an important detail. That feels like something we should have acknowledged. That's fine. I mean, it is what got him out of prison, so I assume he didn't kill any guards. I hope not. <laughs> I hope I hope he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Ethan, do you have any you know thoughts about what what this what this one's all about? Um, well, I. I Ike, when I was actually looking over Ike's notes uh, after after the movie ended, uh, and th- there was one thing that one quote that stood out that I that I thought Ike was gonna mention, but he, he may not have um, seen it as important. But it's the um, uh, uh, like its art is only as good as like your ability to sell it or something like that. Something along those lines. Why make yeah. art if you're not gonna sell it? So, something like that. Uh, I, uh, I think it's that this makes an artist selling it. Yeah, yeah, that's I it. I did write down that quote. I, I think it, it, this entire vignette is like a bit of a Wes Anderson rant. Yeah. <laughs> of like, no, I just want to, I just want to make movies and be a silly boy. Do do some self-expression. He doesn't like mean to um. To make like huge box office successes, even though these were like big successes, I assume, mm-hmm. just because Wes Anderson is. Very, very good. Eh. I mean, I wouldn't call them like breakout successes. They make money, sure, but they're not like. Is Wes, Wes Anderson like somewhat niche? Yeah, in... they're not blockbusters. We'll say. Yeah, they're not like MCU movies. Nah. But yeah, you I I feel like there's a lot you... of passion in this, though. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think this vignette in particular is very much about how art both lets us thrive and kills us because I keep returning to that scene where he's just strapped himself to the electric chair and is just begging for someone to kill kill him because he cannot for the life of him create. And you know, that's his lifeblood. That's what he does. So in those moments, it it does feel like, you know, you kind of lost your purpose. But then I also really do love Simone's little rant to him where it's like, you know, you know, by the spring or the summer or maybe even the fall or at the very latest, the winter, you will have something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, cool. Yeah, it, it doesn't come across as like demanding. It's just you're an artist. You'll create. Just wait it out a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you need like ins- like to wait for inspiration, then wait. It's fine. Yeah. Forcing it is hard, and you shouldn't do it, and it's not fun. Mm. <laughs> Which explains why he wanted to kill <laughs> fucking Dazio <laughs> after he was like, it's been, it's been three years. You gotta have something. I think Simone in this is also very interesting as a character because both her disdain for Moses and also her sheer investment in ensuring that the creative spark 
not just in him, but you know, just in general, like the prisoners, as you know, can be seen through her work, you know, just in the hobby room with the others. I think that's very interesting. And, you know, the way they cultivate that relationship and, you know, the eventual like epilogue saying that they didn't really talk much after they both got out of prison. But, you know, that relationship to me is just so interesting because it is both incredibly destructive to Moses's, you know, kind of personal and like mental health, but it is also just so rewarding to him because he's found that muse. So it's not a healthy relationship at all, but in a way, it it kind of has to be that way for the muse to be so strong, for him to represent her in all these different ways. I don't know, there, there's a kind of tragedy and a kind of beauty in that, like, memorialization of a relationship like that, where, you know, the relationship never goes away, but you know, it's plastered onto the concrete. It is so inextricably tied to the prison and the circumstances that they found themselves in that it can, you can move it, you can move it somewhere and you can display it, but it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And you know, I you, love that. I love that impassioned speech that you just gave us. But I do remember that we need to pause because I need to get a fruit for later. I do also want to say at the top of this, because I I don't think you guys are too familiar with the rest of Wes's work. I know you aren't, Ethan, and I don't think you've seen any other Wes Anderson movies, right, Jesse? I wouldn't know. Which other movies has he done? He's done, like, I think the ones you'd be most likely to have seen are, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox and, like, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, he, no. he made that movie? i never yeah. seen it. But um, I, th- I do really like, you know, just how in these vignettes, Wes Anderson feels very mature because th- this, this really does feel like the maturation of all his work because most of his other movies are, you know, they're very simple. They're, they focus heavily on you know, their their stylistic elements to elevate the substance. Uh, like, Grand Budapest is a very nice, very charming adventure movie. Fantastic Mr. Fox is also in a similar vein. Uh, the Life Aquatic is... I think the one that comes closest to this, because that also kind of deals with the pains of making art and, like, the cruelty of just kind of you know, submitting yourself to the process every time you need to process something within yourself. But every vignette in this is just so perfectly tailored to, you know, a different facet of, like, both the artistic process and dealing with, like, mortality or, like, an end to your own self-expression. And also, it serves as a (laughs) maturation or a kind of you know, dressing down of the criticisms that, oh, Wes Anderson makes movies about white people. Because, uh, credit to him, we get we get POC voices in this. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, Concrete Masterpiece is Benicio Del Toro and Tony Revolori. 
you know, playing like the the main character, Tony Revolori less so, but you know. And then um, the final, the third vignette, uh, Dinner with the Commissaire, uh, Jeffrey Wright, who fucking knocks it out of the goddamn park here. Oh my god, I I can't wait to talk about that vignette. Is he the one who plays Nescafe? Uh, no, he plays. I don't know actors. Sorry. Um, he plays. Uh, Gigi? Robuck Wright. He plays Robuck Wright. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, Randall Park, I believe, plays uh, Monjay Nescafier. But that that's also a great, great fucking role. Absolutely demolishes your soul in like one or two lines. Great stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, any closing segment, any like closing thoughts on, you know, Concrete Masterpiece, the first vignette? I'm I'm collecting thoughts as we go along. I'll I'll have something by the end. Oh boy, I love to I love to hear thoughts percolating. Uh, that is uh, all Jesse. I had for uh, concrete masterpiece. Wow. Uh, well, I guess I'll leave that uh, vignette behind with you know, uh, shout out to Henry Winkler. Also, shout out to. Wait, no. Do you guys have any like favorite bits in this? Because like this is also a very funny movie. It is. Uh, uh, favorite bits in the Justice vignette or in the whole movie? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Whatever you want to talk about, man. Okay. Like... I'll... <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go I'll go by uh, vignette. I think my favorite bit in this one mm-hmm. was when he and Simone uh, actually, actually when when he was painting Simone and like he goes to like get the 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 paint on her so he can match her skin tone and mm-hmm. he and she like slaps him away. Yeah. <laughs> he like sulks back all dejected. Jesse? Yeah. Do you have a favorite bit? Uh I think it's not completely funny or completely not funny but when he's trying to confess and she's like no 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 shut up no (laughs) (laughs) oh uh uh also the part where um uh berenson like turns the slide and says oh good lord that's me (laughs) (laughs) oh that's me i'm naked (laughs) um i think the craft that goes into the into these bits is very very good because most of them also look great yeah like i'm thinking about like um my favorite like just like little bit in this vignette is the recurring tally of the bribes that just keeps going yeah (laughs) really nice like split camera shot where it's just them passing out the bills to increasingly more hands as they just get further and further into the into the prison, that's just very funny to me <laughs> because it just keeps going. It's continuous escalation, and the bribe tally also really just really makes it work. Also, I do really like Adrian Brody's little rant on, you know, he you know the perfect sparrow. He could be drawing things as good as this, but he chooses to draw this instead. <laughs> It's very funny. Yeah, of course you don't get it. It's modern art. Uh, but yeah, 
Do we want to move on to uh, Revision to a Manifesto? The second yeah, let's video. Uh, featuring Ethan. the Oh! Oh my god. <laughs> Do you think his phone died? I don't know. Oh, hey. here he is. Everyone's favorite. Ethan! It's everyone's favorite. Ethan! French-coated mustache, Ethan. Oh boy. Um, that's me, I'm French-coated mustache, mustache, Ethan. Yeah, after <laughs> watching this the first time, I, I said that, uh... This version of Timothy Chalamet is uh, my favorite. The the French-coated, frizzy-haired, uh, shitty mustache, French-coated Timothy Chalamet. And then I compared him to Ethan. And you definitively like this Timothy Chalamet more than more the than Dune, Dune Timothy Chalamet. Which is fair. I don't. Th I don't he have anything like to say about this. Seat. Well, yeah, Ethan, you've does. seen both Dune and the French Dispatch. What? Which Timothy Chalamet do you prefer? Uh, I don't know what Dune is. <laughs> Ethan, you watched it with me. I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> Ethan, you are allowed to talk about it. We're not covering it on the pod. I know this trick. There's a sniper rifle aimed right at me. And if I say one mention of Dune's plot, I'm gonna die. Go on. I'll just it. be I'll just be pink mist in this room. It's not the plot. It's just the guy, Timothy Chalamet. Well, I think Ah, oh, damn. They got him. Damn. All right, well, you know, let's try to, <laughs> you know, new vignette. Uh, what do you guys think of this one? I thought I thought it was really good too. Then yeah, again, all of them are really good, so I don't be saying I thought it was really good isn't really adding anything. Uh, it it was probably my second favorite, just behind Private Dining. Um, mm. I just like the, I I love the absurdity of this this entire one. Yeah. I feel like when when compared to Concrete Masterpiece, this one was definitely a little bit up in up in silliness. I think it needed that. Mm -hmm. After after, uh, Concrete Masterpieces is sad. I think I think Concrete Masterpiece is the least sad out of out of the vignettes. Do you? What 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 makes this one sadder than Concrete Masterpiece? Is Zephyrelli getting electrocuted? Yeah, that's part of it, sure. But also, there you know, there's that bit where um, what's his name? Okay, hold on while I look up his Mitch name. Mitch? Is it Mitch Mitch? Yes, Mitch Mitch's Mitch. Cons conscription. There's that little. God, I love. Wes Anderson fucking loves the arts, and I, I just love it when there's like just a little like stylistic detour that doesn't need to be there. Like he could have easily made that like, like he he put the play inside of the movie. Yes, yeah. that's so fucking good <laughs> to me. I loved it. Just like an offhand like remark that makes these stories just feel that much more like impactful and like real within the world they inhabit. Just oh yeah, of course a play was made about you know this little period of time. And just the cut to, you know, 
that scene playing out and oh my fucking god do i need i cannot imagine myself as a grown-up in our parents world anymore ow yeah (laughs) yeah uh but yeah i think it's just a very sad little vignette on principle because it's dealing with the author's own like insecurities about you know herself and her like herself and her age and her writing and also dealing with this ultimately kind of futile student movement it, like, the, okay I wanted a little bit of clarification on this. The move, mm-hmm. the the movement was that so the boys would have free access to go into the girls' dormitories. Was that it? That's how it started. Yes, but okay. then it just kind of it, it then became just like communism, right? Yeah, but essentially, <laughs> this is just like Disco Elysium for real. <laughs> Which one is Harry? <laughs> Harry Dubois. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Mitch. No. I don't know if there's a a, a, a Harrier like in this one. <laughs> the Harrier like. Oh yeah, Dubois. Love that man. Sorry, this is a film podcast. <laughs> but yeah, um, Jesse, what do you what do you think of this this vignette? Like, what what do you think it's trying to like? You know, I don't know. Say. <laughs> I'm still on my exploitation train. Oh boy! Yeah, no, please, please share. Okay, I don't know if I'm just interpreting this differently than other people, but I feel like uh, Zephyr Lay is being like used the entire time. Oh yeah. Uh, just the way that he's kind of thrown around by these people. Uh, there's there's my exploitation is that, and then his very young friend having to go into the military and. St- all that it's you know yeah uh what is the writer's name i've totally forgot um Kremens? listen to Kremens. yes yeah uh when she edits his manifesto and i don't really know what it said before but uh it sounded to me like when she edited it she changed the meaning. Yeah, I, I get where you're, where you're going for, though. Like, you, you think she changed the meaning because Zephyrilla is confused by the change. And he's like, that was intentional. It's, a, yeah. it's supposed to be all poetic. In a bad way. <laughs> I think he was being poetic in a good way. Yeah, I think... I think this does like a this vignette in particular does a really good job of just kind of capturing like the social microcosms of just that weird period in between like high school and college where it's like you're you're very like righteously angry but you don't quite have the experience or the words to like Put out the changes that you want to see in the world, and also just that kind of like misplaced anger finding its footholds in, well, not misplaced. You know, it is, you know, justified anger, mm-hmm. but you know, just how it finds footholds in, like, political ideology and how different sects of people, even 
you know, it's a kind of explained at the top of the vignette where it's like where he's like running down like all the clicks and like all their little bits of esoterica that make them, you know, the intellectuals, like the the jocks and whatnot, and how they all kind of, you know, have these little like interpersonal rivalries that we don't really get to see because so much of it is focused on how all the children have just kind of banded together for this one cause and how he kind of unwittingly becomes like a figurehead for it. Like, I don't feel like Zeffirelli wanted to be in that, you know, figurehead position at all. Like, I think he comes off as like very insecure, both about, you know, his physicality and his writings. Yeah. He just seems like, just like a, a literature student that was suddenly like the figurehead of this um, movement. Yeah, he's, I, he's being pushed around. It feels like he's being build. propelled. It feels like he's being propelled by the sense of oh, I should be important because so uh, so many other people feel that like I should be important, so I should be important. Like you know, he's the one to like kind of start that clap because he feels like when Mitch Mitch like burns his patch because he feels that that's an important moment and it is, but then that just kind of like keeps spiraling where he wants to kind of hang on to like the comforts that he knows. He wants to hang on to like these bits of his own ideologies, but he has to keep fielding and accommodating like other people's ideologies. Cause he, he just wants to fucking listen to tip top man. All right. <laughs> he just wants to listen to like his favorite singer but he can't because now the ideologies that he's like put himself in the company of say that tip top is just a capitalist tool and he's, he just wants to listen to the music, <laughs> which by the way, beautiful music Jarvis Cocker did uh, all the songs as tip top and uh, Alexandre uh, Dayplat. I thought uh, you said Jarvis did, did all the tip top songs. No, Jarvis Cocker of the band Pulp. I don't. I don't think I've heard of that band. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I lost the wheel of enormous proportions. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know that was just a sidebar. I think the the music in this like movie, top to bottom, is great. But yeah, Ethan, any uh, insights to share on this? It is. It is about you, after all. I. I I'm. I'm, I've I've got some, but I'm I'm gonna gonna weigh on them a little bit in, until we're done with um, private dining. Okay. Oh. Because because it, it it relates to the thing I was talking about before. Interesting. Hey, you you both are like you both are like keeping little rants away from me. I'm gonna <laughs> eat your thoughts. I'm gonna hear it, and I'm gonna eat them. Ethan. Uh, hmm? I gotta know this. Do you think that Timothy looks like you at all, or I am delusional? We have an entirely different face shape, but <laughs> for like a brief moment, we had like the same hair and facial hair. Yeah, and it, it, it made me upset. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't look like a bicycle seat. No, there's like one scene that he kind of looks like you, and I grabbed it. <laughs> Wait, wait, you did? Which scene? No, no, no. I, I mean, like, I 
grabbed it in my fist uh, and held on to it. I didn't actually okay. record it. It stayed in your mind, that, yeah. that one image of Timothy Chalamet. So, um, it may sur- it may or may not surprise you to, like, find out that this uh, vignette was based on, like, real events. I assume it's based on the, uh, Paris, uh, um... The May 1968 stuff. The, the student revolt. I thought it was based on, like, uh, the stuff that Les Miserables, uh, covers. No, this was, uh, based on the 1968 stuff in France, which was... Um, stuff. It it was like um like student protests like much like the one in the film you know just against like capitalism and like other like inter- like institutions and mm-hmm. like um like American and like Western like influence on their culture that eventually just started getting support from like other unions and like other like disgruntled groups because the police oppression of like the student protests was so heavy. So eventually it just kind of blossomed into like powder keg of just all these different groups kind of like finding common cause in one another. And like, it was a very tumultuous situation where people were like fighting in the street as they, as they're, as is want to do at, France is like known for this. France is known for France going hard is on known for, protesting. yeah. But yeah. I think that's um, pretty cool of them. Yeah. You know, after the fact, a lot of protest art and other, you know, cultural artifacts were like made from the from this period, which I think the end of this vignette ties ties into it quite well. Man, that that Zeffirelli stuff about you know him, you know, being on T-shirts and like becoming the like, the figurehead like post mortem. Yeah, it's inspiring and tragic in that. You know, it is always nice to have these revolutionary icons, but it also does come with the obvious risk of, you know, watering down their ideology, even though we kind of see in the film his ideology isn't that strong to begin with. Mm-hmm. It feels like a dilution of a movement and also a celebration of it. So, I look, you see what I mean about this being Wes's most fucking mature film? Like, <laughs> it's good. I don't know. It just captures these nuances when it comes to like media literacy and like discussion so well. I feel like a simple-minded ape when I try to discuss it. I laughed when Zeffirelli died. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, fo- here first, folks. Ike wants Timothy Shalvey dead. I all no, young revolution. One actor of the world. that I want dead. I think I just want to talk like a little bit more about you know, just like this movie holistically, but especially like in this like particular vignette. There are so many cool camera things just in this movie. Oh yeah. Like I'm thinking about that like thing near the end where you know, um it's Ferrelli. Uh, what's her name? Juliet. Yeah, Juliet are just riding on the back of uh, the motorcycle, and I don't know how they made that particular shot look like that, but it looks—I don't know. It looks—it brings back a feeling of like nostalgia, like within me, where it's like it's so evocative of just 
like the fleeting joys of youth. And I don't know how they managed to capture that so well, just in that, um, just in that little quick shot. I don't, I don't know. This movie is shot fucking awesome. I also love that, uh, pull away when they're, when they're listening to the tip top song and the set just starts breaking down around them. I'm just sucker. I'm a sucker for those things in general. Love good design. Love it when they move. I like how they had a door in the chair pile so that they could open it for the motorcycle to go through. Yeah. (laughs) Are we moving on to private dining? I mean, do you guys want to talk about your favorite bits here? Oh, favorite bits. It's a bit bit crude, but I really like the one uh, uh, where, like, the the camera uh, looks away and then it cuts to the door and you can hear bed springs. Uh, being squeaked. That 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 one almost got a chortle out of me. A hearty chortle. <laughs> I also like the one where um, where Kermit's uh is in in the um in the bathroom, and then like Zafrel is just like uh hello. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to take a bath in here. I'm shy about my my new muscles. I'm partial to Zeffirelli's like final letter to Kremens, where it is both very sincere, but also contains lines such as, I wonder if she'll remember the taste of my tool on her tongue. And then the very last and then the very last line being, the last few lines are indecipherable due to poor penmanship. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Zephyr really needed an editor. <laughs> <laughs> also, the little diatribes about appendices, very good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think with that, we'll move on to the, the last vignette here. This episode has gone on for a while. I think this will be our longest one yet. Yeah, we have As it hour. should be. We got a lot. We got a lot to talk about here. It's true. We're, yeah, we're basically it, reviewing three movies in one. Yeah, this is apparently Ethan and I's favorite vignette. Indeed, do. Um, for sights and smells. Uh, I think it's Ethan. Tastes and smells. Di- dining with the commissaire. Dining with the commissaire. Starring so, Robuck Wright as the journalist who goes to the commissaire's house to eat and then gets tracked off into some weird adventure. <laughs> oh, I love it when that happens, don't you? I love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, what do you guys think of this vignette? Just in general, overarching. This one is also really good. I need to give more thoughts than, like, it was good and I thought it was funny. Uh... <laughs> I really liked the uh, quick swap into 2D animation. Yes. I feel like uh, his um, use of like moving set pieces and like set design was like seen most most effectively here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I meant to mention it earlier, but it does also happen here too. I really love the um, fake freeze frames that happen. Uh, Quite a few times throughout the movie. Oh yes. Oh, I meant to bring I meant to bring those up when um 
especially in that uh the concrete masterpiece vignette yeah. where they're showing off his artworks in the various you know locales and galleries that that rules love it love it love it love it uh ethan by that i mean when they have the actors stand still and you can see them moving a little bit and the oh camera moves yeah across and they're holding the pose i think it's really cool i think it's really cool like seeing them try to hold still and seeing them shake yeah i like how they how they did that instead of using just like a still image yeah fake freeze frame yeah, Wes Anderson has like a kind of like I don't know how else to describe it, but like a dollhouse kind of diorama sensibility, like when it comes to like its sets and its scenes, because they're just so like meticulously blocked and like the camera movements across like the facades of like buildings and everything. It makes them look so small and miniature, but the way that he like moves within them, it just comes across as like a incredibly meticulous like diorama of like a scene and also like to your point like the 2d animation being a representation of a comic strip that was published in the newspaper yeah like man Wes anderson just loves art doesn't he he does it definitely seems like it as i've said this is my favorite vignette um both because of jeffrey wright's insane performance goes incredibly hard here um, I often think about that time where he asked why he writes about food so so much, and it just cuts to that black and white of him, like on a throwback stage, completely alone, and he's just talking about, you know, how it it doesn't matter, like the hates and ills of like a long day, but you'll always have a place at somebody's table, like. Oh. no matter what and then it just there's just a lot of like little bits of like melancholy and kind of like speaking to Wes Anderson's like kind of maturation on like the POC front the way that he talks about immigrant life in this that last line huh, that not the last line but that exchange between Stephen Park and uh, Roebuck uh, Nescafier and Robuck, seeking something missing, missing something left behind, and maybe with good luck we'll find what eluded us in the places we once called home. Like, he he gets it somehow. He, he, he just gets it. That, like, kind of immigrant, foreigner, like, experience. Just in, like, every facet of life, just seeking why, you know, why did we move why do we move here and just learning to accept this as a home is not, or maybe not even as a home as something new. I don't know. He, he just gets it. And it's also very, very sad, but also very funny because gay people can't read maps. Apparently. Yeah. That was my favorite bit from this one. <laughs> Cartography, the curse of the homosexual. Uh, but yeah, Jesse, I'm interested to hear how your exploitation thing ties into this one. Um, I didn't really get it until uh that last piece, um, where that that you just talked about where they were talking, and how uh Wright says that he left that out because it would ruin the mood, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, was it Albert said mm-hmm. that he should put it in? Oh, um, Arthur. Arthur. Bill Murray. Yes. Yeah, Arthur said that he should put it <laughs> Albert. in. Albert. That mm, I wrote Albert down. I Albert was <laughs> Willem character name. Huh? Albert was Willem Dafoe's character name. Albert Damn the Abacus. Okay. Yeah. Oopsies. I was so excited to see Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Delight, he... Delightful to see him in full like rat mode. Yeah. He had like a no role in the movie, but I was like, just him being there made me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. The the oh, fact that, Peter that that Wright didn't want it put in there because it was too sad and it would ruin the mood, and uh, I forgot his name again. What's his name? Arthur. Arthur told him to put it in anyway because that's the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. It was a very private moment for the both of them, and the newspaper saying, put it in, put it in. That's where my dots were connected. I don't know mm-hmm. if there were dots to connect, but I connected them. I mean, so you can also you can also make a case for like this being a very crime-centric story. You know, how true crime is, you know, very much like a form of exploitation. That too, and the fact that mm-hmm. this was all recited uh, from his top typographic mem- memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also how they use um, Nescafier to basically be like the sacrifice to, you know, poison the uh, the criminal gang. Yep. Also exploitative. Quite. But, you know, exploitation can leave you with new experiences. Uh, are we gonna are we gonna go on to favorite bits? Um, I, I look, I I want to talk. <laughs> look, I want to oh. talk about this a little. Oh more. yeah, keep Go keep going. Talk. I'm eager to hear it. Um, this is like kind of like the the linchpin, and like you know, this is kind of like the big, like my theory on like how this relates to like artistic expression and mortality, because with you know the second vignette, it's you know those ties are much more obvious, you know. It's about Kremitz's, you know, own, like, confidence in her writing. It's about, you know, your confidence when you're writing. And also, you know, he he dies by the end and is transformed by, you know, all these other people's work on his manifestos and his ideologues that, you know, aren't even his, but people have attached to him. Like, their forms of self-expression have turned into him being the figurehead for a whole new wave of expression. But this one is like, you know, uh, Nescafe almost dies uh, because of the poison. And the thing that he takes from that is so indicative of just the artistic process that this experience, which probably should have killed him, has left him only with like a longing for more of that feeling just the fascination with it that he was exploited into almost giving up his life for 
you know, the purposes of, you know, the police and the law and yada, yada, yada. But his main takeaway from it isn't, you know, that he was exploited or whatnot. He considers that, you know, kind of, you know, not the focus of it. It's instead that he got to experience something new that he didn't know that he could still feel. And that even if it wasn't totally pleasant, finding something new in that old age, finding something new at all when you're experiencing, when you're working in this medium that you've worked in for your entire life, even if it almost kills you, that it almost seems worth it. And just how uh, Roebuck Wright keeps writing, even, you know... <laughs> That his writing, like living forever, both in his mind and, you know, in the minds of others, like Leif Schreiber is uh, the the TV host is, you know, obviously also a fanatic of his, but also how his own experiences, like also there's just this very nice parallel between him and Escafier where the kind of challenges they both face, but him him as a gay man and, you know, Escafier, you know, as this foreigner who, you know, was undeniably kind of exploited by the police that he works with, how they kind of, they don't make that the main, the, the crux of their writing or their, or their work. They focus on the outcomes of it. They focus on, you know, love and, these new sensations that come only from the challenges and like the threats to their existence that they face. And I, I don't know. It, it seems very much like a celebration and a condemnation of like the human experience that we are able to turn something so tragic into something that resonates something that people can relate to. And something that can be, you know, so beautiful as, you know, a comic strip or this very nice, very sweet, touching moment that is, you know, discarded and then put back in. Uh, but, yeah. Um, do any of you guys have any other thoughts or should we move on to bits? <laughs> <laughs> I was I talking know, about think, bits. Well, it, 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 oh, I think I'm sorry. That, I didn't mean um, to cut you off. The abacus being left in the cell and forgotten about for the mm -hmm. entirety, uh, for I guess most of this uh, conflict, despite that it's kind of over him, is interesting. Mm -hmm. He is, in theory, supposed to be the main antagonist, but he does nothing for the entire thing. Well, yeah, he would have starved had it not been for Nescafe, the guy who was poisoned and almost dead, remembering that they had to feed him. Yeah, <laughs> they, they forgot to give him food for uh, several days. <laughs> A-cab. Oh! A-cab. Uh... Also, Nescafier saying, I'm not brave. I just wasn't in the mood to be a disappointment to everyone. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Ow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Did I miss that line? I, do, I have no memory of that one. When does yeah, it say? Yeah, it was during. Yeah, it was in the uh, same scene. 
when he's yeah, when he's talking, he was talking to Robo. About the unique flavor of the poison. Mm-hmm. Mm. He wasn't brave. He just didn't. He wasn't in the mood to be a disappointment to everybody. Oh. I like how they they condense so much emotion to that one scene, and then yeah. like make make a joke about how Robuck removes it. <laughs> and yeah. was like, and "What like, are you doing?" Arthur was right. Where like that's <laughs> that's kind of the whole point. That this is the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it's also very private. It is. Ah, but that's the that's the bitch about journalism. Yeah, I can see why he didn't want to put it in. Do we want to go on to bits and then Ethan can do his rant? Sure, yeah. I mean, we have to we have to like address the elephant in the room. The standout bit being the comic strip part. That oh, one was absolutely. so so fantastic. In yeah. incredible. Especially all the like mini bits like where they run around the city and go back to the same spot and then like the guy who is on the windshield jumps back onto the windshield. The fact that that guy's called the Jeroboam and they just have him on speed dial. What does he do? <laughs> he he does nothing in that entire chase and it's What's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> He's just there. He's the Jeroboam. He's the Jeroboam. Don't you know him? <laughs> Why don't you have a Jeroboam in your town, Ethan? God, I wish I did. I wish there was someone I could dial up so that he could sit on the windshield for an entire car chase and do nothing else. That's me. Just call me. (laughs) (laughs) Jeroboam. Oh my god, it is. Jeroboam. The Jeroboam. You're so right. Look, I think all the all the bits in this hit, like you know, the curse of the homosexual. Oh the yeah, com- that, that, like that, that one. That one got me. <laughs> the incredible wait for the advertiser. Like after all of that, now it's just now a word from Gemini tooth powder. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they are. Th- this vignette is just hitting on all cylinders. It they is. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, right. But yeah, I think with that, Ethan, I'm going to let you do your vignette. Well, I mean, uh, pe- people can feel free to. Rant. Yeah, people can feel free to like chip in if they want to. Uh, but uh, a- after we first did this first viewing of the French Dispatch, I had like zero clue what, I, what it was about. I had no clue what I was supposed to gather from it. And so I was kind of confused and just, like, waiting to come up with something just by, like, thinking about it while I was doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, th- the solution to my conundrum came up in a place that I didn't expect it to. It was my uh, uh, American literature class uh, uh-huh. for, for college. Uh, we were talking about modernist literature. Um, not modernist, um... Realist, realist literature. And we are reading one book. Which one was it? Give me one second. I took notes on it, but I forget the name. It's char- It's like just some character's name. Daisy Miller, that was it. And Daisy Miller was a book that I had a lot of trouble with, too. And as I realized in that class, when the class brought up Wes Anderson, I realized that both of the trouble was linked uh, I was thinking too hard about both of them. I was thinking too hard about like uh, subliminal messaging. Um, 
uh, Wes Anderson is is very much a uh, realist literature, except the realist realist writer, except in the field of making movies, and that at, at a surface glance, there's not really much that happens in the movie. Like you sit down and you watch it, and you're like, okay, <laughs> the the plot is the plot is very loose, uh, but. Uh, I was having the same problem with, uh, that I was having with the realist literature and that I couldn't like figure out what I was supposed to gather from it. And uh, uh, as, as we discussed in class, it's just kind of about people living their lives. And, um, and uh, I, I made the realization, especially with, with you talking about uh, the love letter to journalism, that it's, it's very cliche and I don't really know if I'm like saying much with this, but each of these uh, vignettes is all about just like finding joy in just being human. With mm. um, with uh, Moses, it's finding joy in just like creating and uh, making art, and not like needing to sell it. He's just expressing himself and like the struggle that he's going through, having a life sentence in prison, uh, and his his struggle to maintain that while someone tries to monetize him. Uh, with uh, revisions to a manifesto, uh, I, I wrote down that it was about finding a cause, but also being pushed into a cause that you don't really believe in yourself. You're trying... It's, it's about um, Zeffirelli like, growing up and like needing to make decisions, but kind of having those decisions made for him. But also, it's about other people like trying to find their own beliefs in in this system, both with like Mitch, Mitch, and Juliet. Juliet being like, "I already know what I'm doing," but then getting her 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 confidence shattered by Kremens at the end, and Mitch, Mitch, uh, not really knowing what he's doing until he experiences that um that scene uh, in, in the military. And then just just finding out like what what each character believes in and what they want to defend uh, on their time with their time on this earth, and the third one is about just like just having fun in a misadventure. Uh, it's it's something that starts out very plain, but then just like goes out of hand. And uh, I my thoughts for that one were it's it's just like finding. Finding a joy in hum and humor and just like adventure and fun in something that seems so just like normal. It's it starts out normal with just uh Robot going in to try uh Nescafia's food, and then suddenly it all just uh snowballs into this wild goose chase and uh, hostage situation. Uh and it culminates uh with his scene in Nescafia. Uh, in which this cafe talks about like his own experience and like how how he's how long he's lived his life and he still manages to find like something new that surprises him. Wow, I like this. I like this I like take, this. Ethan. <laughs> Thank you. It's about and, stories. Yeah, it it I linked it up at the end where it's like it it is just about stories. It's about just like going out and just having fun and seeing, seeing the humanity in in other people that you uh, come across. And I was like, man, this movie is realist literature. <laughs>
<laughs> Jesse, do you have any any thoughts? Any anything you want to say as we come to the end here? I don't know. I said most of my thoughts already. Yeah, that's fair enough. I just enough. really like this thing. Um. So yeah. Um. Last question for you guys. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is from the Death by a Thousand Cuts list of films that are you know canonical or you know otherwise important that I that I feel like I need to show you guys to you know give you guys like a gist of you know cinema and and whatnot why do you guys think french dispatch is on this list because you like it among other things (laughs) because you want us to watch a wes anderson movie those are part of a reason (laughs) it's a very good piece of art that was made to be art it's doesn't want to be uh like some blockbuster make money it is what it is it's something by a person who really just wants to use an art medium to make art yeah. adding on to what you said yeah this Passion is project. yeah this is just a pure and simple celebration of so many you know, it is about journalism. It's about plays. It's about comics. It's about all these forms of different expression. And I think as we keep going through, uh, you know, cinematic canon and history, you're going to find a lot of influences from other films, you know, both on Wes Anderson's body of work in general and also this thing. So, you know, when we when we keep going, I just want you guys to, you know, keep in mind and especially for, you know, other pastiches, you know, keep in mind, like, the history of the films that came before it and how we continue to homage and keep keep those films alive, even in, you know, contemporary and modern products. And also, yeah, I do like this movie a lot. What of it? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, we're coming up on the end of this. Do we got do we want to give our cuts rating? Yeah. Uh I I think maybe we should do get the fruit out of the way. <laughs> God damn this fruit. I think it's time to address the banana in the room. God. Jesse, how brown is this banana? It's not like brown brown, but it is heavily freckled. A brown banana. It's not a brown banana. It's It looks just like that one from Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. No, it does not. If it was that brown, you wouldn't be eating from it. From my favorite bit in the movie Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. <laughs> just eat the banana so we can get this bit over with. Eat the banana.
I don't know what to say. It's a banana. It's pretty good. It's a little riper than I usually eat them, but it's a banana. What would you, what would you rate it? Four out of five bananas. That's pretty good. Four bananas out of like five. Being, I feel like you're being too generous to this banana, but okay. Eight hundred bananas out it's of. It's only uh, a little bit overripe. It's not horrible. Thousand. Eight hundred bananas out of a thousand bananas. All right, do we do we want to give our cuts rating of this? Just sure. Pirates like final little thoughts. All right, um, Ethan, we'll start with you. What would you rate this out of a thousand cuts? Nine hundred thirty-three. Whoa. Okay. Look, I'm. I'm also gonna rate it like. <laughs> You can't rate above a thousand, buddy. I'm sorry. Uh, I know, I know. I'm gonna give it like 947 cuts out of a thousand because, dude, this thing rocks. I think this is easily Wes Anderson's best movie. I think it encapsulates so much of you know what I find fascinating about journalism and the arts, and it's also just this very passionate, very, very like human, like kind of look at mortality and like the things that we create. So yeah, got to give it 947 cuts out of a thousand. Come on! <laughs> and, and I'm uh, coming in shooting right down the middle with 949. Whoa! Look at you. That's huge. This it's is great. like the, the 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 highest rated one that we've done, except who killed Captain Alex. I'm pretty sure nothing is going <laughs> to top who killed Captain Alex, and I stand that is by true. that. That is a 999 out of a thousand cuts movie, and it is nothing will top it. <laughs> so what's our what's our movie for next time, Alex? So we're gonna keep using the uh, the list that I pre-gened. Uh, you know, during the the lost episode days. So we already covered in quotation marks uh, Le Samurai and. Uh, Modern times. So next up on that list is Night of the Hunter. What what is that? I've never heard of it. Quite possibly the best thriller ever made. It's fucking awesome. It's also the only movie the director ever made. Damn. The only movie with a director? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was Wes Anderson? Ethan, I think you misheard me. Ethan asked if it was the only movie that has a director. No, I said it was the only movie that this director ever made. I, but then why, when I asked the only movie with a director, why did you say yes? <laughs> why did you say that? Don't <laughs> dodge the question. <laughs> I think you mis, I think you misheard me. Adam Apple. Oh, Alan. I could I could go for an apple right now. Alan, I Apple's said Alan. Good. Who's Alan? Alan. I'm not talking about Alan. I'm talking about apples. Apple, Adam Apple. Get out of here. Oh my! Get God. away from me. All right, should we call it a day? Yeah, I think we're calling it here. So we'll be back uh, next episode with Night of the Hunter. Definitely a, a weekly show we've got going on here.
Oh yeah, for sure. I we have a we, we have a just bite schedule. the bullet and call it monthly or bi-weekly or something. <laughs> no, no, it's weekly. We'll get it next time. We promise. It's weekly. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it this time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Death Cuts Pod. You can also follow our separate accounts. I am at Alex Radio Hour. I don't use Twitter. Uh, mine is Light Nike. Uh, like Lightning and Ike with an underscore after it. Wow. I, th- I think I'm KCDNT. You are KCDNT. If you follow me to expect anything, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. You can also f- follow our sweet, sweet editor, Enid, at Grapio1 on Twitter. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Podcast out. out. Podcast out. I'm turning into a brown banana as we speak. (laughs) You're going to be a small brown stain when I'm done with you. What? Podcast out. Christ almighty. Why would you say that to me? It's impossible.